Today we have the honor of being joined by high school football coach Brent Marley. Coach Marley's been coaching for over 20 years, and he's a big reason why this podcast is called The Rise Above Podcast. As his school, Rejoice Christian, their mantra is, Rise Above knowing that the storms of life will come, but when you go to God in every situation, whether it's in football or in life, you can always rise above. And he's a huge reason why when I faced adversity, when I started losing my sight in high school, and when I faced adversity today, I know that I can always rise above because of how he showed me when I played for him that when you always put your faith above whatever we're doing in life, there's always a way you can rise above. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I have. Welcome to the Rise Above Podcast. I'm your host, Will Lambley. We're back for episode eight. And we're here today with one of the most influential people in my life, actually my high school football coach and now the coach at Rejoice Christian, uh, Coach Marley. First off, how are we doing today, Coach? Doing good, Will. I'm always good when I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lost a high school game last night, big game, and uh, the sun came up today. Yep. And uh, sitting here next to you uh, really helps things, put things back in perspective, yeah. and, and let's go. Let's move forward. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. And how, how long have you been coaching at Rejoice? Been here. This is my eighth season here. Okay, that's awesome. And then, um, kind of going going back, uh, what was it like growing up for you, like in your family? Uh, I come from a great home. Um, you know, two parents that are still married, um, getting ready to have their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Um, you know, when I was a younger kid, things were. Uh, family didn't have everything that you wanted. We didn't get to go on nice, you no know, elaborate vacations. My dad worked at a Goodyear tire factory in Lawton, Oklahoma. Uh, my mom was trying to get her teaching degree. And, uh, you know, things were not always, you know, I guess, wonderful on the uh, monetary value, I think, as a kid. Um, I have a kind of a joke in my family. I, I never could get Happy Meals when I was a kid <laughs> because the Happy Meals were like 32 cents more than a, a, just a cheeseburger and, or a hamburger and French fries and a small Coke. But, uh, you know, uh, that stuff looking back doesn't matter. My parents just raised my brother and I uh, in admonition of the Lord, and um, they, they led by example. I have a dad that I would get up on Saturday mornings and go into the living room, and I'd see him reading his Bible or on his knees on the couch, uh, knees on the floor, and he's on the couch uh, praying, um, praying for his family. And so those examples... Uh, man, you know, just resonated with me uh, more than anything, more than what people tell you or speak to you. Um, seeing it done uh, was a big part of my life growing up. So, hey, great family. I've got an older brother. Um, he actually lives uh, out here in Owasso, too. My nephew uh, plays for us. He's a junior, and my, I have a son on the team that's a junior. Um, and, uh, man, just been had, had an awesome childhood and blessed. I like what you said about your dad, how he, you, you could always see him following the Lord at a young age, because that reminds me of a, a quote I heard the other night. It, was, it said that most kids growing up, their view of God is based on how their, how their dad's relationship is with God, because they, they don't know, know anything more than how, how is their dad following God. That's awesome. I, I, I really think that so many times on the spiritual 
with the Word of God and, and with our relationship with the Lord. Like sometimes we get too complex. And if we just look in the natural of like, you know, like farmers sowing seed and, and work ethic and then having faith and, and putting your part in, but then the supernatural happening with the, you know, with the, with the harvest, it's the same thing in, in, in just, uh, man, how do we love our kids? How do we treat our own personal kids? And then how was my dad towards me? And then we have an, a heavenly father that loves us even that much yep. more. And so, man, just looking at like how natural things are set up sometimes, you can really see God in those things. And do you remember what age you were introduced to faith or how, how your faith journey began with God? Um, really just, uh, again, just probably my earliest recollection would be in like Sunday school and probably was four years old, three or four years old. Um, and then just, uh, remember my mom talking to me about it and, and, and seeing my dad's example, he led more by example instead of really speaking to me and my brother a whole lot about it. My mom was more the, the speaker to us and would pray with us, um, and then along the way, you know, when I got to be eight or nine years old, I remember my mom presented my first Bible to me um, and, and, and wrote the importance of that Bible in the, in the cover. Um, and my grandma was uh, always, uh, and my grandpa were, were people of faith, um, you know, and grandma was always putting scriptures on my birthday cards and Christmas cards and um, just, just grew up kind of in that. Now, obviously, I think everybody has their own moment, right, where it becomes real. And... Um, I, I knew it was real, but it really, really became real to me my junior year in high school at a youth camp. Um, when I had my own, it wasn't mom, wasn't dad, wasn't on my grandma or anybody else around me. It was me and the Holy Spirit um, just hit me. And that night at Greenleaf State Park in Tahlequah, man, um, I knew. I felt the power of the, of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and just knew that, um, man, this is, um, he's chasing me and I want to chase him. That's something that's awesome about the Holy Spirit. Whenever it's inside of you, like there is no doubt, you, you, you know, and uh, I love just the passion it unleashes. And something I love about you, Coach, is how you've really shown me when I played um, football for you in high school was that God isn't just at church or at, at a church camp. He, he's everywhere we go. As uh, you implemented um, something we did at Rejoice uh, called First Things First where before every practice, we would um, start by talking about a word uh, that, that applies to our team and more than anything applies to how can we grow closer to Christ together? And um, well, how did that kind of come to be? You know, as coaches, with whether it's uh, offensive scheme or defensive scheme, we steal things from each other, <laughs> right? Um, I know the Bible says not to steal, but I think <laughs> all of us are under the agreement that it's okay, right? We're all trying to, to get better at our craft. And so... Um, I had a coach, uh, Lee Blankenship, who is the head coach at Mustang High School in Oklahoma City. Um, he introduced First Things First to me that he was doing at a former school he was at. Um, and so I thought, hey, I'm going to steal that and take that uh, to rejoice. Although, you know, us being a private Christian school, we were going to have devotions anyway. But I wanted to name it. You know, I think a lot about culture, so many things about culture. And Will, you, you, you played here. You, you are a big part of our culture. Your story is a big part of our culture. But I think if you come to rejoice, one thing I, I think that's obvious to everybody that tours or walks around is they can see culture hmm. is important. It's on the walls. It's on the doors. It's on the floor, the floor mats. Um, it's behind us. It's uh, sitting right here. Hmm. And so, you know, we labeled that first things first um, because we wanted to be able to uh, culture's got to be installed from the top down and then it's instilled from the bottom up, right? So it's got to get inside of people. Well, how things get inside of people, I think it's got to resonate and relate 
And so to resonate and relate, to be applicable, well, naming things, making mm -hmm. it make sense, right? So we call it FTF, first things first. And it's coach-led, player-led. You led some when you were here. Um, some of yours were the best we've had. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's how that kind of came about. You know, something else that's awesome about that is there's so many teams or organizations that have these sayings that are so cool. But the reality is people in the organization or team don't really know what they mean, and they don't mean anything to them. And something that I've heard that you said recently is, we're not going to put it on the walls if we don't act like it in the halls. Mm -hmm. And um, how, how have you been able to apply that to your teams? You know, I just, I think that you, that you don't have, everybody only has a certain amount of time. And time is precious and important, you know. And, and I, I'll be honest, like I struggle. My, one of my biggest leadership flaws, and my wife, if she was sitting right here, would tell you, is time management, <laughs> is just yeah. being efficient. Um, and I, 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 I enjoy, I'm kind of more of a, I'm a passionate person, but I also am a little bit laid back at times. And, and so I have to try to press myself. Um, so it, it's one of those things that, you know, efficiency, we don't have time to say a whole lot of things and, and have all this stuff. So if it's going to be on the wall, like, man, let's really invest in it and think about it, talk about it. And we got to circle back to it quite frequently because we want it to be ingrained in us. See, I, you don't want hypocrisy mm. to be part of your, your program. Um, and hypocrisy is, and complacency is something we all fight. You want to be real. You want to be who you say you are. And so you want to live by a mission statement, by a standard, by core values. And so you got to define those. You got to put them on the wall where people see them, but you got to talk about them and you got to continually bring it up. Consistency, I think, is the key as it is with anything. Exactly. There's a quote that I've loved recently by uh, Nick Saban, which says, don't do it until you get it right. Do it until you can't get it wrong. And I think that is key, especially with you. We talked about it with uh, consistency. And then kind of going off that, um, so uh, I, I know you're a football coach now, but like, how did that like passion for football start? Did it start like at a young age, or was it one of those things where you're like, I, I, I might have played football, but I didn't like love it until later? Yeah, I can tell you exactly when it happened. It happened in the fall of 1984. Wow, um, in that's Lawton, pretty exact. <laughs> in Lawton, Oklahoma, and um, I walked into uh, we had a TV in a spare bedroom. Um, and I walked into the, the room, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon and my dad was sitting on the couch and he was very in tune and intent to what was going on. And, and, and I noticed it, it, he was like that almost every Sunday afternoon in the fall. And I didn't know what was going on. Well, I turned and just started looking at the TV instead of playing with my little action figures. And I saw these guys on the TV that had these silver helmets on with blue stars on them. And I got just enamored by what was going on. And I saw the contact, the collision, um, the aggressiveness, the, the athletic ability. And, of course, I was watching the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> right, America's team. And, um, and they still are America's team, by the way. Uh, yeah, but I started watching them. And it was – my dad said, tells me a story. I don't remember all this. But he said two weeks later, I knew Tony Dorsett, uh, Ed Tuttle Jones, Randy White. I knew the whole Cowboys starting lineup and was just enamored with football at that, that point. And it was since, since that moment on, it just stuck and it, it's never went away. And then what, what age did you start like playing? Yeah, so my parents wouldn't let me play tackle football. Um, and we moved to Broken Arrow, uh, you know, uh, I was probably 1987. It was about three years after that. And they let me play flag football. So I played flag football 
third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and then in seventh grade, um, we didn't start actually we didn't start junior high football in BA at that time until eighth grade. So eighth grade was my first year of tackle football, and. Um, I remember feeling all awkward and you know, and you're growing and all that and your body's weird and, and I the pads felt funny and it was a it was a tough transition and my love for football you never would have I mean it could have been depleted I guess by my playing time and um, by my awkwardness because it wasn't very enjoyable it wasn't very many enjoyable <laughs> moments on the field in eighth grade I think I hardly got to play I got to play like one or two games and uh, but. Through the sport, that's where, you know, along the way and through high school um, and then later on, you know, just learning through college, uh, perseverance. Yeah. And I'm sure not being able to play much in eighth grade and through some of his early years in high school really created an appreciation for football because I know you went to Aquita your senior year, right? Yep. And then you, you were a safety, a starting safety for that team, right? Yes. And I'm yep. sure that you, you should appreciate it so much. Oh, yeah. So, you know, after the eighth grade year, I go into ninth grade. And uh, my ninth grade year at Broken Arrow, South Intermediate, we had like 90 players on our team, um, all ninth graders. I broke my hand right before the season started. Um, and my brother and I got in a fight uh, over whose turn it was to ride the four-wheeler. And, and he kicked me with boots on, broke my hand. So I was kind of behind the eight ball when the season started uh, to get any playing time. Um, but I wrote on my ninth grade team picture five minutes the whole year. And I still have that picture at home. But it, it bothered me because I knew that I played less than anybody of the 90 players on that team. I played less than anybody mm -hmm. in ninth grade. And so it was between my ninth grade year and my sophomore year at Broken Arrow, the largest high school in the state, that something clicked in me. A work ethic, a drive um, outside of um, you know, just what we had to do and required as football players. I put in extra time, time on my own, dreamed more. Um, I, I loved the game. I wasn't going to let the adversity take me out of what I wanted to do, but no, it was going to press me more into, okay, I am going to determine the outcome in this and what I do. And so I worked my tail off. And then the following year as a sophomore, um, went into the dress list. We we're playing Bixby, Oklahoma, you know, first game of the year. And I was one of five sophomores on the varsity dress list to dress that night um, for Broken Arrow. And I started at quarterback as a sophomore for the JV for the junior varsity team, and I was a, a third string for the high school team. Um, and that led into, um, you know, later on, it had a transition my junior in high school, went to Coweta, as you said, and uh, started for them my senior year at safety and um, was blessed to play in the Oil Bowl for Oklahoma as a game they used to have in high school. And then and then led on to, you know, opportunity I wanted to stop playing, so I wound up walking on Oklahoma State and played there. Yeah, can you talk to like what that process looked like of you like walking on Oklahoma State? Because I know there's some things you had to overcome before even like getting on the team. Yeah, so totally transparent here. You talk about a journey. Like my senior year in high school at Coweta, I made a 2.94 GPA in high school because I had a D my sophomore year in one class at BA. And so I had a 2.94 GPA. I took the ACT one time. I made a 19. I, I wasn't really focused academically. I just wanted to play sports and get by. Well, I couldn't get accepted into Oklahoma State academically because you had to have a 3.0 or like a 21 or 22 on the ACT. And so I had to go to TCC out of high school. So I'm a year out of high, I'm out of high school. It's the fall of 90, 97. I'm at TCC. I'm leaving Tulsa Community College every day, going to All-American weightlifting. I'm lifting weights. I'm running. I'm busting my tail. <laughs> I went back up to Kuwait High School. Made my highlight tape. Coach Mack, my, my high school coach, let me use the VHS tapes, you know. I made my highlight film. 
I actually, I'd, I'd called Oklahoma State University multiple times, played in the Oil Bowl, you know, that summer before, and had made contact, had written letters, wound up driving my VHS S tape to Stillwater, Oklahoma, um, dropped it off, wrote another letter, kept calling. Finally, finally, I get a phone call back from a guy, uh, Coach Tommy Kaiser, who was the recruiting coordinator of Oklahoma State, the associate head coach at that time. And he uh, asked me to come up to Stillwater for a meeting. And I went in for a meeting um, with him, with my parents one day. Funny story about that. Um, we're walking up to this, the door at Oklahoma State, and Bob Simmons, the head coach, is walking towards us. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, to my mom and dad. My mom and dad went with me on that trip. <laughs> they didn't go with me the first time I dropped my VHS tape off. But uh, they went. They didn't go to my meeting with Coach Kaiser. They hung outside. But I'm walking up, and there's Bob Simmons, the head coach, coming towards us. I said, Mom, Dad, there's, there's Coach Simmons. There's Coach Simmons. Well, let's meet him. Let's meet him. And so I introduced myself to him. I told him I was getting ready to meet with Coach Kaiser. And I told Coach Simmons I'm going to try to walk on at Oklahoma State. And he says, what do you mean try? Just do it. And I, that always stuck with me, what he said in that moment. What do you mean try, just do it? And then my mom, <laughs> you know how our moms feel about <laughs> us. She interjects and says, Coach Simmons, not only is he going to do it, but he's going to start and he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. And so, so, oh boy. Man. so my got, mom got some expectations there yeah. <laughs> anyway i share that at our mom's night dinner we do here every year at rejoice but but um anyway yeah i didn't win the heisman i went up <laughs> walking on and, and and played for two and a half years it was a struggle um it was a, a big struggle uh first year got a tag on my locker um in the fall of of 98 and then had to just work out at 5 30 a.m four days a week with coach austin our strength coach at the time um, and I wasn't, I could go watch practice, but I wasn't on the team. Um, I was one of like 35 guys that got called into his office that got, they had to get the numbers down, uh, NCAA regulations and got called in. And then that was tough. And I think out of the 35 that told, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I think me and two other guys came to the 5:30 AM workouts all winter, all fall, all winter. And they let us come back out for spring ball. And then that mm. spring, the spring of 99, I had a good spring. And, and at slot receiver and made the team and, um, you know, and did that for another year and a half with the program and uh, tremendous. But, uh, man, it took a lot of resiliency. And I'm sure those uh, 5.30 a.m. workouts, you just sh simply showing up to all those has helped you even today. Because I know, like, um, whenever you, like, decide that, like, no matter what I'm going to do, I'm just going to keep showing up. That that's, just, that, that's something that uh, – that you can take with you in every aspect of life. And it's almost like it turns into a thing of like anything you do, like you're like, okay, if, if I said I'm going to do this, then I, I have to show up because that's just who I am. That's no, that's so key. Will I think that, um, you know, I, I, I was telling you earlier, I wore my Rangers hat today, um, you know, because I'm a big Rangers fan. Obviously they just won the world series uh, first time, long time coming, but you know, there's a lot of 162 games, seasons uh, after that game 162 that those that that organization those <coughs> players coaches left the field thinking man we're you know they were one of the you know many years towards the bottom of the barrel um but here's what they did they've kept playing baseball and i think so many times like 
It's, it's, it's not some formula or you, you got to go. There's, sometimes there's things you got to change. There's things in your thinking probably more than anything that you have to change. And sometimes there's some habits you have to change. But I honestly think one, the biggest thing is just keep putting one foot in front of the other hmm. and keep moving forward. Just keep going. And, you know, that's why I wore my Rangers hat, the Rise Above podcast, right with you. Hey, they just won the World Series because they kept playing baseball. Yep. They just kept going. And they, they got there in 11, 2011, and here we are in 23, and they win one. You know, if they would have moved their franchise to a different city, would have just said, hey, it's just not working here, you know, or whatever. Um, no, they, they just kept playing. Yep. And look what happened. It's, hey, it's kind of like you, right, when you got done uh, playing football. Um, did, was it right after that you became a coach, or did it, was it, did it take a little bit? Um, you know, I had actually majored in criminal sociology. I was going okay. into law enforcement. I had a job lined up. Was, I was going to Tulsa PD. I'd interned at Stillwater Criminal Investigation Division. And it was right during my senior year. Um, um, I'll never forget, my wife and I, my, we're in a one-bedroom. We just got married for our senior year of college. We had a 400-square-foot, one-bedroom apartment. She's cooking dinner, and I'm watching the news. And they started interviewing Bob Stoops at OU. And they are getting ready to play Kansas State in the Big 12 Championship. And they, they were talking to Coach Stoops. And as he was talking on the news, it was like, you know, I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord, but it was like the Holy Spirit told me in that moment, you are to do that. You're to mentor and mold young men and coach the game of football, something I loved. I thought football was just something as a player, yeah. like to play. And it was in that moment that I realized, okay, my playing days are over, but now, well, okay, so obviously it means coaching. And so I went to uh, the education department because I knew, you know, maybe I need to get my foot in the door as a high school coach and need to get my education degree, so I'm going to be a teacher and a coach. And they said, hey, just go ahead and graduate with your, your uh, criminal sociology degree, and you can take your alternative teaching certification test. So that's what I did. Went kind of the backwards route. And then um, went back to my high school coach, Coach Mack, commuted to Stillwater, went to practices at Coweta uh, that, that next year, and uh, coached one year in 2001 at Coweta High School. And then got hired at Victory Christian in 02. Spent 13 years at Victory until I came out here at Rejoice in 2015. Uh, 23 years. My wife and I have both been in this and, and been at two different schools. So it's, it's been, a, been an awesome journey. That's awesome. And um, right, right when you started coaching, was there some moments where you're like, am I really supposed to be doing this, God? Yeah, I think when the first paycheck came. <laughs> uh, you know, high school teaching and, and coaching. Um, it was tough. And then, um, then kids come along, mm -hmm. and our first son came along in 03, um, Caden, and, um, and then our second son came in 05, and, and he almost passed away at birth, um, and it was a, a rough moment uh, with his deal, and, and my wife wanted to stay home with him and be a stay-at-home mom, and she's a, a fourth-grade teacher at the time, and I'm teaching elementary PE and a, a high school assistant coach. And, but I wanted to give her that opportunity, try to. So actually, she did. We just stepped out in faith and did it. And she stayed home. And that whole that, that year and a half, next year, she stayed home for one year. Maybe it was two. But there was multiple times during that season of life when Kel was a baby and she was staying home. We thought we were going to have to file bankruptcy. We didn't know how we were going to make it. You talk about a whole nother, you know, people say coaches sometimes have pressure and stress, you know. That's not a game, play calling. That's really not stress and pressure. Stress and pressure is where you're looking at your two little babies, your kids, your boys, and your wife staying home, and you don't know how you're going to make your house payment. You know, and, 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 and that was a tough moment. But that called for a whole other set of rise above and perseverance and 
grateful for that season now when you look back on it. It's kind of funny how those things <laughs> yep, happen. Exactly. So John 13, 7 says, these things that are happening to us now, we don't understand, but later we will. And uh, kind of speaking on that, what kept you going during that time? Just the Lord, um, his presence, the word of God. Um, on my front of my Bible, it, I've got one in there in the office over here. It, it just, I, I always have it when I get, I have to get a new Bible. Cause if, you know, I, it says coach Molly's playbook, yep. that's my playbook. Um, and so when, when things hit, when life hits, it, this may sound cliche, but it's the truth. What else do you want but the truth? Do you want opinions from people? Because you can ask a lot of people, and you're going to get some wise words of wisdom, some good words. You're going to get some negative things. You're going to get some thought processes, a wide gamut of things from people. But why not just go to the truth? Because mm -hmm. when you go to the Word of God, when you're going through trials and adversity, and you read the truth of His Word, there is a, a strengthening that happens in you. There's an uplifting that happening. It gets inside of your innermost joints and marrow. It's, your, it's our moral compass. It's living and active. It tells us that. The word of God is living and active and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And so it really judges your thoughts if they're negative. If you're being pessimistic or you think, you know, I don't know if I can make it. It really, okay, where's your optimism at? Mm. Where, where's the faith at? Because, you know, a double-minded man right? <laughs> cannot, cannot please him. And a double-minded man, uh, you can't be faithful. You, you can't have faith. So man, faith is, is, is believing when it's not there. Yep. Faith is, is, is the belief in something that's going to happen or turn around when you're completely void of it. That's real faith. So when the money's not there to make the house payment, when the money, you don't know how you're going to live, what you're going to do, right? Your kid's not breathing when he's born. You think he might not make it. You know, that's when faith comes into play, really. I mean, that's when the rubber meets the road in those moments. And so the Word of God, and if you don't put it in you, you're going to get hungry. You're going to start looking for something else to eat somewhere else because if we don't put, it's the same as the analogies we were talking about earlier, the simplicity of life. If we don't put food in us, you know, well, what do we do? We get hungry, right? Exactly. So we go look for yeah. something to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I love about that is how you talked about, like, you know, we're, we're going to face things in life that might be harder than anything we ever expected. But when we know where our hope is, and as it says in James 1, verses 2 through 4, when we know where our hope is, we, we, can, we can find joy no matter what. And sure, there might be situations like where we're happy, but you can find genuine joy no matter your situation, when your hope's in the Lord, it says in James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kinds, because the test in your faith will produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its race so that you may be complete and lacking nothing. And I love that verse because um, I know when, when I was losing my sight, and just knowing that I don't have to rely on what I can see, but I can rely on where can I find hope? Am I, I going to look for everything around me, or am I going to look for, like, like what Coach Marley said, the truth? Who lives inside of me? And, um, and you can take that with you in any aspect of your life for anyone listening. And how, how have you been able to apply that to, um, to coaching, whether it's at Victory or not, now at Rejoice, um, just being able to live with joy like, no matter what you're facing? Well, the why is the framework, right? Why are we doing this? And, and I've been 0-10 in my career, and I've been 10-0, right? So if the why is to mentor young men and try to make the biggest difference you can in their lives and their foundation. It's a foundational time in high school. 
pivotal time. If that's why you get into this, it doesn't matter what a record is. And that's where so many coaches, you know, we lost last night and it was tough. And I'm thinking about a couple players that I need to go talk to tomorrow when they come up for film. Uh, they just, you know, tell them, hey, love you. Hey, you got this. You're better, you know, and because, you know, there was some tough correction last night. Um, but the why has got to get back in the front because it's always there. Mm. No matter whether you're 0-10 in life and you're in the dumper and things are down and it looks like there's no way, or you're 10-0, and and that's the foundation Christ gives us. He gives us that eternal value. I got into this for a calling. It's not a job. And I wanted to do what makes me come alive, as John Eldridge talks about in Wild at Heart. Do what makes you come alive. And it, it, it really, really does. It, it, is a, it is a calling for young men. And, you know, as you said about, about joy, you know, when, when Christ, it said he endured uh, with joy, he endured the cross. Like, with joy, you're like, what? When you read that, you know, and like, he endured the cross and it, with, with joy. And like, he knew his why. Hmm. He knew his mission. And, and I think so many times in life, our thoughts are backwards and they're fickle because of what society says is success. Or society is important and it bombards us. And it's so, so easy for us to believe the narrative. And so we've got yeah. to put the true narrative in us yep. or we get twisted. Yeah, and that, that's awesome. And uh, like I, when people come up to me and like I get, I get talking like, and they're like, well, what's your favorite quote? I always tell them it's the only disability in life is a bad attitude. And they're like, how can you have a positive attitude whenever you can't see what's in front of you or like if something bad's happening in their life? And I'm like, you see, that, that, that's, that's where I'm able to have a positive attitude, knowing that it's not in anything I'm doing. It's in, where, where am I putting my hope? And sure, there still is days where I get, I get discouraged, or I'm um, sure Coach Marley has days he gets discouraged, but it's in those times you got to reflect and ask, well, where, where is my hope? And go, going off that question, and I know you talked about like the why. Coach Marley, what, what's been like your, your why um, in coaching and just your life in general? Well, um, you know, a lot of that will with what you said on, on the why, like, I will tell you this, like you have, um, maybe good or bad, but you have, the Holy Spirit has allowed, has used you to convict me, <laughs> right? You, you just, the why, if, if people around me that the Lord has put in my life, and, and it's through the Lord, you know, so many times people say, well, I've never heard the Lord, he's never spoke to me. Well, the Lord speaks to us all the time. A lot of times he uses people right? Like it's, it's through people that he's speaking to you. And so just from what's your situation, just watching your example, watching what you've been through. I mean, you just said that quote and it's right here. It's on this, this, uh, uh, honorary Eagle that we have for you. And you're the only disability in life is a bad attitude. Um, you know, putting that on there. Well, I, there's been days that I have been down or have thought, man, this is, um, this is crazy that I'm going through this right now. I mean, this year, uh, my, my sophomore, junior son, game two, series one versus Casha Hall, tears his ACL, first injury since first grade football, um, and was getting recruited by some schools and all that. Now he's got to go through rehab, and now it's just a, an uphill grind. Praise God, right? Mm. You know, but, but I've looked, and then I, in his situation, I at one time was feeling, man, why am I going through this? An injury, and then I think about Will Lamley. 
right? I think about you and what you've been through and how you carry yourself through the adversity. And it, man, it, it, I, I get convicted, a, a positive conviction from the Holy Spirit of like, you know what, suck it up, buttercup. And uh, so what now, what, let's go. And, uh, you know, last night we lose a football game and I had a senior that was, was really emotional about it. And I loved his passion. I loved it. And he's crying. And I'm I, in the locker room. It was a big game. And he's crying. He's telling me sorry. that He w- wished he could have done more to help the team win. You know? And I just felt led to share a story with him about what's going on over in Israel of an Israeli family that, um, you know, uh, uh, some, some Hamas terrorists busted in their door uh, while the family of four was eating dinner and tortured the family profusely uh, all the way to execution and then ate their dinner. And I looked at the, young, the senior last night and said, so we lost a football game tonight in Owasso, Oklahoma between two 2A teams. Put things in perspective, right? I mean, seriously. And we're going to work our tails off this week because we're passionate. We're going to do everything we can. First round of the playoffs this week, we're going to be a major underdog. But we're going to do everything we can to bounce back, bounce forward. But at the end of the day, you got to have perspective. What's your ultimate? Mm. This is not my identity, right? I am a high school football coach, but football is not my mm. identity. Christ is my identity, and it's what I do with what my platform is through Christ working through me. That's my identity, and that's the way it can be for everybody. That's the way he wants those. It doesn't matter what field that God takes you in. Our identities can all be working together for the kingdom. Yep. And that, that reminds me of one of my, one of my favorite quotes, um, which Coach Morris, who's at Arkansas and now is at, helping at Clemson, uh, told me last year, you were actually there when I spoke to South Florida, and he, he told the team um, that in life, there will be people you come across where you should have one chance to make impact in their life. And in that time, you can either be a giver or be a taker. And um, so many people that I've came across, they ask me, like, oh, how are you able to be so positive? Or like, was it, has it always been hard for you ever since you went blind? And I always tell them, like, it was honestly like, there, there were really hard days, but having people like Coach Marley and some of the friends I had at Rejoice around me while I was losing my sight, like it was hard to have a bad day. Because first off, they were loving me and they were filling me with the truth. And when I, when I think of being a giver, not a taker, like you're, one of the first two, three people I think of. And I, I know for, for you, just h- how you put other, which others first, I know that has to come from someone. Has there been someone in your life that's really like shown you like the power of putting others first? Um, I'd start with my mom, you know, just mom always um, last one to eat, last one to get her plate, last one to do anything for herself, last one to really have anything done for her. Um, you know, having two boys um, as young men, I think this, I speak to our players here, uh, at, especially our mom's night dinner that I mentioned earlier, we take advantage of our moms because our moms are the best example in our lives, usually, usually of unconditional love, of, of the Christ-like love that we feel like would love us no matter what. And so we can kind of take advantage of them and it's not <laughs> right, but we know they'll love us anyway. We can vent with them more anger. We can have a bad attitude more towards our moms um, because we know they're not going anywhere. And what a, what a blessing example I've had from my mom of what Christ's love is like um, when I'm not in my best or at my best. And she loves me no less, um, you know, and, and, and hurts for me you know, and all that. So that's a great example. And then I think just, you know, the word of God, Christ, like Christ's example of just being a, 
being a servant, man, I got so, so long to go. I'm so selfish, Will. I mean, you said that what you said, and I'm blown away by what you said because I know how many times like I'm selfish or opinionated, right? I want to be one of those. We get in the car after church. Hey, where do you want to go eat? That I don't open my mouth and say where I want to go, <laughs> right? I would rather just always be quiet and let everybody else decide and just, just be a servant and, and let other people enjoy. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm working on that, and, and hopefully, hopefully I can get better at that. Awesome. And then you've talked about some, some things in your life today that uh, have been struggles or um, you've even mentioned the mantra rise above, which uh, is the name of the podcast. We actually got the name uh, from you and rejoice using that. Uh, would you mind to speak on like, first, what, what does rise above like the mantra mean at rejoice and, and what does it look like to rise above in your life? Well, rise above um, came about here again, stealing from other coaches um, we had a, a 2017 season where we had a lot of players get injured in a game. Um, uh, four players got injured for the year in, in a first quarter of a game. And the coach from the team we played sent me a, um, a wristband. And he called me and he talked about Buffalo. We look up Buffalo head into the storm. And so I looked up Buffalo head into the storm. I looked that up. And it was a pretty cool deal of how when a storm comes in life, a lot of like cows and you know different animals they'll they'll seek shelter or they'll run from the storm and the storm comes over and they run away but the storm is just hovering over them as they're running away they're running with it really and they get pelted right where buffalo know a storm's coming they turn and they run at it they run into the storm um, and what happens is they wind up getting through it and come out the other side quickly well i started looking up our mascot here at rejoice which is the eagles it's god's chosen bird Right. And I started really researching the eagle and come to believe it. The eagle does the same thing. It flies into the four winds of storms that come. It's got really, really strong wings. The eagle is actually not a great flying bird. It's a great soaring bird. It's really good at soaring. And so it used those those four winds of storms and it hit, hits these thermals that it can see with its vision and it uplifts it up above these strong winds and it goes up above the storm and hovers in peace as storms are down below and it can see these thermals with it's got great vision and it, it just soars to the thermal to the next thermal and it can it can travel for miles just by soaring and not really flapping its wings and then having these thermals take it right down to a pivotal location whether it's targeting prey or going back to its nest or whatever, it is incredible of how it works. And so there's so much on the eagle of rising above that just, you know, golly, man, tri trials in life, adversity. So we just want to take our mascot here, teach our players back to culture that our mascot has a meaning and a purpose behind it that. The Bible tells us not if you have trial and tribulation, but when, mm -hmm. okay? So we're going to all have that. We've endured a lot, and we're going to rise above. We're going to go at it, go after it. You know you know when you're here in our, our team room, right, and we say, any coach says the word adversity, all the guys, what do they do? They, they yell. I was actually thinking about that. When you said adversity on here, I, I could almost like envision people yelling because <laughs> it just brought back like memories. Yeah, yeah. We, we, they yell at the word adversity. Um, yeah, embrace it. Embrace the, um, the opportunity that it brings you to be refined, um, you know, and so anyway, yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about like how like when you face adversity, like you don't have to let that define you. Rather, when your hope is in Christ, you can let that elevate you and let that help you rise above in whatever situation you're in in life. And that's why, I, man, playing football rejoice. It, it was so much more than just playing football. It was the lessons I learned that I'm able to take with me and er, almost everything I do, whether it's like how difference makers overcome or how we talked about rise above or the things we did first things first. There's been so many things that I know that you're continuing to pour into these guys, uh, no matter the record, that they're going to be able to take with them later on in life. Even the, the guys that are probably in the team room, like, thinking, oh, this is so dumb. Because I, I, you know, on any team, there, there's guys like that. But yeah. you never know. By, like what you said earlier, just not giving up what, what, what it can do in, in guys' lives. And as, as we're ending today, um, you know, there's going to be someone listening to this podcast that just got that diagnosis or has made a mistake and they just feel like a failure or is dealing with something in their life that they just want it to go away. Um, and they're, they're just losing hope whether it's in their job or in life, um, what's a message that you would have for them? Will, I would, you know, um, thought that hit me when you started saying that was when we came up with that rise above mantra, you had not gone through, it was about a year before you went through, uh, started losing your sight. Um, and when you started losing your sight, you were the, it, it's crazy. It was almost like we needed to have that mantra ready because it was going to help you and it was going to help us see you and how you went through it. And you, you are our living, like walking alumni, former player that rises above every day, the circumstances, um, that I, I, I'll tell you in one of my favorite quotes, and I've told you this before, but Helen Keller <laughs> yeah, awesome. said, the most ridiculous person in life is somebody that has sight but has no vision. And there are a lot of people that have sight, but they don't have any vision for life. They don't have any mm -hmm. passion. And yet you struggle with having sight, but you have vision, and your vision is so powerful and so strong that it's not on your circumstances. So what I would tell people that get your sight off of your circumstances. Here's a young man in Will that doesn't have the sight to physically look at the circumstances, but yet chooses, it's a choice, to rise above, to be a, 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 a light Radiant. Psalms 34, 5 says, those that look to him are radiant. You are radiant. Radiance just resonates off you, Will, everywhere you go. So much more than so many people that can see 2020. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, so many people are caught up in what they see, right? But we fix our eyes not on what we see, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Right? I love that scripture. I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Um, and uh, anyway, just man, rise above, fix your eyes, not on what you see, but what is unseen. The word of God, the truth, all those things. You got to equip yourself. You got to put yourself around good people. Speak life. Look at life in the, in the spiritual realm. And you will rise above. 
Oh, I, I could say the same thing about you, Coach. I know there's so many people that have came across you that, I mean, everyone that comes across you is made better for it. And a verse that comes to mind, just from, from this podcast and just, just knowing you and in your life and how you live is uh, Galatians 6, 9. It says, don't grow weary of doing good because at the proper time you reap a harvest. And I love this last part because it says, you'll reap a harvest when you do not give up. And I think that can relate to your, every aspect of your life back when you're in middle school to at OSU, to now, the season has gone, about every adversity that could happen this year has happened. Right, right. And, but you keep, keep on going. I mean, the first thing you mentioned when you walked in was Texas Rangers. I mean, no one ever thinks the Texas Rangers win a World Series, but <laughs> hey, they did it because yeah. kept showing up. Right, right. It's as simple as that. But, um, Will, what is, um, when life throws you lemons, what do you do? Make orange juice and leave everyone wondering what, how in the world you did it. <laughs> there you but, go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, no but we, we can't thank you enough uh, for being on with us today, Coach. You bet. Thank you for having me. Gonna... Honored, honored beyond what you would even know to yep. be sitting here with you. And I know there's many lessons I've learned today about just, uh, man, always showing up. And then when, when you always show up, you can impact so many people's lives by just simply doing that. Like Coach Marley kept showing up. And there's thousands of former players who are able to be impacted in whatever career they're in because of the lessons they learn by Coach Marley every day at practice tell, telling us, it's not about football. It's about our job as coaches is to love you, and your job is to love each other. And, man, the biggest lesson I've learned t- today is when you put Christ first, you can always have hope in life. And, man, we can't thank everyone enough for, for, for tuning in. And you can catch the Rise Above podcasts on any platform you listen to podcasts on, or on social media, or on YouTube. And know that no matter the storm you're facing today or for the rest of your life, when you put your hope in something bigger than you, you can always rise above.